welcome to the Taney Love Church Podcast. Our desire is to gather, train, and send those who are called to the kingdom. We hope this message inspires, uplifts, and equips you to fulfill the call that God has placed in your life. Thanks again. God bless. Well, good morning again to everyone. How's everyone doing today? Ben, could I, before you get comfortable and before you take the sip of that orange juice, <laughs> uh, would you get me a, a, a bottle of water? I forgot to grab one. <laughs> I didn't mean to catch you mid-sip. Um, so uh, as I said before service, uh, we've gotten a new computer, which is super awesome. It's something we've been believing for. Uh, it's taken Nancy in a while to get everything set up, so I don't have the announcements and stuff for you, but just be patient with us. Uh, the Lord is faithful, as he always is. Our projects, I think it was 0.3 something to one came in on the building supply. We had more money come in on our media and sound account, um, and so God is supplying us. We've had more than enough come in than what we need to. We have reserves in, you know, so we're able to cover everything. We're not behind on anything. Praise the Lord. He's, he's so good to us. Um, so if you guys want to, if you like the Lord has asked you to give, be diligent to that. I don't, I don't, I feel impressed to move on from, from offering this morning because I want to get into this morning's service. But be diligent with your finances. Um, be diligent with what the Lord has told you to do. Give where he tells to give. Give excitedly. Give out of, of, of love and out of joy and out of excitement knowing you, you get to be used by the Father. That's my favorite thing about sowing when I know God has told me to sow is because he asked me to do it and I got to do it is really happy when I have five, four brothers and two sisters, so there's five boys and two girls in my family. So my dad had lots of helpers to choose from. But it always made me really happy when he would ask, hey, Micah, could you help me with this? Does that make sense to you? It always made me, now, he, would, he, would, he did a really good job of teaching all of us boys different, different things, and we all learned. But when he would say, hey, Micah, he could have picked Adam, he could have picked Jeremiah or Eli or Isaiah, but he said, hey, Micah, I need your help with this. That always brought me uh, joy. And so I, I, I attest that to my my godly father as well. When he says, Micah, I can use anyone, but out of everyone on the earth, I want to use you for this thing. And when it comes to tithing and offering and being diligent with our money, that's how we need to look at that. Amen? Amen. So if God has asked you to give, be diligent to do so. Everyone in this room knows how to do it, so I don't need to go over that, all right? Um, I do have one, um, one announcement before we get going. Grace and Ben, would you guys stand up for me? Grace and Ben got engaged this last week. We're very, very excited for them. Um, uh, we, I don't have any more details on that. And as I have details and they allow me to share them, I will share with you. Uh, but a wedding will ensue. Um, this will be our first official wedding as Taney Love Church. Now, we've married people in the church before, but it's always been someone from somewhere else and someone kind of, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but, but since being in this building and, uh, and we had one other kind of wedding that was kind of close, but as far as, as like people that have come underneath Becky and myself and that we've been able to pray and support and, and, and be leaders of, this is like one of the first weddings. And I'm very, very excited for the two of you. I'm excited what God's going to do for your life uh, and blessings are, are ensuing. And if anyone in this room, you feel like God has led you to have, give them money, you should do it. I think that's a great thing. It's a great investment to sow into to relationship, especially if you're believing for your own relationship or believing for improvement in relationships. This is a great one to sow into. Amen? Amen. I'll embarrass you guys enough for today. You guys can sit down. So excited for the two of you. Um, I'm really honestly, genuinely excited for what God's going to do in your guys' life. There's changes in your families. Um, things that have come down from generations and generations are going to be broken by the two of you. I think you know that and you have some revelation, but God's going to use you guys to be an example to other young couples, to be examples to submission, to faithfulness, to be examples of what it means to a good godly mother and father. And there's no pressure on you two to do that. Do simply what you've been doing now. Be led, listen to him, do what he tells you to do when he tells you to do it. And all of those things, all of that, that, that uh, presentation that God wants to use you to be an example of is nothing out of your own ability. It's simply by being in relationship with him and being obedient to him. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm excited for you guys. So we've been talking about, uh, I started a series a couple weeks ago called The Call. It was on the tail end of, of, our, of our Spirit Wind Conference that we had here, which was, amazing if you guys weren't able to come 
uh, it's on YouTube. I think it'll be on Elijah's podcast. And I'm currently in the process of editing the YouTube videos to where it's just the sermons because some of those services were like three and a half hours long. So I'm just going to, I'm editing them down to where you can just go on and listen to the sermon. It is on TaneyLoveChurch.com. I think the first two are done. The second two I'm going to try to get done this week, but I'll be out of town. So I might have to wait a week after that. It takes a while to render all of those things and download them and upload them. So it's, it's a little bit of a process. So, uh, um, but if you haven't heard those ser- sermons, um, go back and listen to them. Um, I, I, the Lord put this message on my heart and I gave a really condensed version of it. Like I took several, several weeks of teaching and put it into about, I don't know, an hour and a half. The Lord really helped me, but I felt it was important to, to kind of expand on this a little bit. So the name of this series is called The Call. Um, It's the call of God on your life. And I had one question at the beginning of this series, and it was, who here is in ministry? And we had some people raise their hands with great confidence. We had some people not raise their hands at all. And we had a couple of these, like, I I think I'm in ministry. And so what we begin to do is define a little bit of what ministry means. And and I had three points going into this. The first one is, is number one, which is relationship. Number two, which is assignment. And number three, which is the commission. And we've just been focusing on the first point, which is relationship. So in week one, we talked about how to even get to the call that God has on your life, it requires this, which is relationship. It is the foundation of your existence. It's the foundation of the call that God has on your life. It's the base of of which we operate. It's the place in which we operate out of. Does that make sense? You, You can endeavor to do what God has asked you to do, but you won't truly know if you're walking in the footsteps that are ordered for you unless you're in relationship, right? The word says that our steps are ordered by him, correct? Who orders them? God, right? So who orders them? God does. So how do we know which order we're supposed to fulfill? It's really simple. Being in relationship. Yeah, not not a trick question. By being in relationship with him. The only way to know, the only way to know, I'll repeat myself, the only way to know that you're in the steps that were ordered for you is to be in relationship with the Father. No man, no book, no 10, 12, 15 step guide, no self-help, no tape, no podcast can tell you what God's call on your life is then greater than what the Holy Spirit will tell you. People may come into your life and they may prophesy. You may read the word and feel something excitement in your heart. Like, man, I really like this pastor thing or this evangelist thing or this mission that helps. Or I like, I like these things. It might, it might have an excitement in your heart, but you won't truly know how and what and where and when you're supposed to walk if you're not in relationship. I said at the end of this last week, I want to get to all the amazing fun stuff. I want to talk about street ministry. I want to go through what Jesus did when he, through the apostles and how he ministered to people. And I want to look at those things. I want to see how Jesus said, you're going to see greater things than these. You're going to lay hands on the sick. You're going to do all these things. But we can't even get to that portion if we skip relationship. We, all of the, and I don't, I don't like saying it this way, but I'm going to use a human word because up until this point, I don't have a better one. But all of the flashy benefits of ministry, do you understand what I mean by that? Laying hands on the sick and they recover. I'm not trying to demean that. Understand me. I'm not trying to demean what that means, but there are so many who seek the spectacular and miss the supernatural. Does that make sense? There are people who, who are discouraged if they try to pray for someone and that person tells them to go away. Yeah, there's a couple words that came up in the mind. That I had to go through the Rolodex and pull out the most appropriate ones. They said, get out of here, buckaroo. There, it's, it, what happens if I pray for someone and I lay hands on them and they don't recover and then they feel depressed or they feel discouraged and, well, and then the devil starts lying and saying well this isn't your thing you know, that, have you ever heard this doctrine the last miracles died with the last apostles the, la- the, the, last, the, la- the miracle signs and wonders died with the disciples yeah. actually that's a true statement because we're disciples <laughs> it's us <laughs> Everyone looked at me like, what are we doing? We have to leave churches now. No. So the reason why people discount is because they follow and they, they follow the feeling of discouragement when they try to go through something in action. We see what God did in the word. I'm going to parrot that thing. I've seen these great ministries. I've seen how they do things. I'm just going to do what I've seen done. And I've seen great things happen when they do it. But when I do it, nothing happens. I guess that's not for me. I must not be anointed enough. I must not be qualified enough. Well, I don't have enough 
Bible school training. Well, I don't have enough theology. I don't read a chapter of the Bible every day. I don't pray enough. I don't, I don't have these things. That's for someone else from a different time at a different place. It's for other people, not me. Because what, you're op- what people are operating out in that mindset is they're operating through a rewards-based system. Does that make sense? Now, we live in a rewards-based system in life. So this isn't something that is, is, is it's, it's a product of our environment. What do you mean by that? Okay, when you go to school, you study, right? And if you study and you do a test, you get good grades, right? And if you get good grades, your parents, like, you don't get, some, sometimes you get money. Sometimes you just don't get grounded, right? For me, my reward was I got to eat dinner at night. You know, there was nine kids, there's seven kids to feed. There's not a lot of access for rewards other than just food. So, so we live in a rewards-based system. If we do something bad, there's consequences, right? If you perform well at your job, hopefully you'll get what? Raise, promoted, put into leadership, gone into training, extra ability, extra finances, bonuses, right? We live in a rewards-based system. Every, for every action, there's a what? Reaction, right? You're not wrong. <laughs> Consequence can happen. For every action, there is a reaction. So we live in this system where if I do A, B, and C, 2 plus 2 equals 4, right? So we live in a system where we're ingrained to know that if we do something, there's a result of that. So when we look, we apply this thought to ministry, and I'm not saying it's the wrong thing, but it's applied, into, it's applied to the wrong thing. When we look at operating in ministry, what, are you, what, are you, what stick are you using to measure that ministry? Does that make sense? What... what in the auto world, we call that a dipstick. It goes into the, into the bottom of the engine where the oil is. You pull the dipstick out. It shows you how much lubricant is in that engine. I know I lost half of you, but I, I, just, I just thought it was good. That's the way my brain thinks sometimes. What, what stick are you using to measure that ministry? I'm not saying it's, it's bad to, to account how many people have come to the Lord through your ministry. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to account how many miracle signs and wonders have come through your ministry. That's a great thing. The, the word of your testimony brings people to the Lord. That's a good thing. But those metrics cannot be your measuring stick. How do you define a great minister? Personally, how would you say, man, that is a great minister? Is it by how many people they get saved? No. I could see how that might be a thing. Is it how... How many people, how many signs, miracles, and wonders? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to call you out. I'm genuinely asking. The Bible says that you know people by their fruit. Some people say practice what you preach. I get that. But I, I would just say know people by their fruit. Yeah, I'll say what Jesus said. <laughs> He's a little bit better than I am. Smarter, you know. He said, you'll know people by their fruit. So when we, when we begin to define, mini- like if I, if I were to just give each one of you a piece of paper, and maybe I should have done this beforehand, and maybe we'll try this another time once we all forget what I'm saying right now. But if, we were all, if I were to give you all a piece of paper and I, were to, and I were to say in 10 words or less, define what ministry means. Okay? I want you, I want, right now, give me a couple words that come to your head. Just say them. Service. Service, okay. Anyone else? If I say define ministry... No pressure. There's no wrong answers. If I say define love, okay. What about what about other people's ministry? Work, yeah. Miracles, signs, wonders, sure, absolutely. Teaching, sure. Preaching, yeah. There's a lot of things that we can say. But if I were if I if I were to say, okay, on this piece of paper, take a week, define ministry in ten words or less. What would it what would it say on that pep on that piece of paper? I'm sure there'd be a lot of great things. I'm, I'm not saying our ideas are bad, but if we look at ministry as, as, a, as a ministry of metrics, we're doing it wrong, is what I'm trying to say. Mike, I thought we were talking about relationship. We are. We are. Because the reason why the foundation of ministry, and, and when we, we define ministry as where God has called you. Not, I'm, when I say ministry, how many, raise your hand. How many of you think preacher? And when I say ministry. Okay, that's a, one of the first things you think. How many of you say, think evangelist? Or I say ministry, do you think a guy in Africa? Or I say ministry, you think a, a street minister or, or an apostle or someone like that. 
So I'm not talking about the five-fold ministry as defined in the Bible. Those are five different areas that God has said there's anointing on people's life to do these five things. Okay? But when we say ministry, it doesn't mean you have a 501c3. It doesn't mean you have a pulpit. It doesn't mean you have a tax-exempt status. It doesn't mean you have a website where people can donate to you. Ministry is the second you get born again, you're in ministry. So when I say ministry, that's the ministry I'm talking about. I'm not, because you know what? It applies to every single one of them. Now, some of you say, well, there's a, there's a different thing. You know, the Bible talks about a higher responsibility for pastors. I agree with that. There is. They're held to a higher standard because of people that they teach. But I'm just talking about what it means to be in ministry. Okay? What it means to be in ministry. Ministry is not only the five things that you think that it is. Can you be a lawyer and a prophet? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you be a dentist and an apostle? Yes. Can you be a teacher and an evangelist? In fact, you probably are if you're an evangelist. You're also a teacher. You understand what I'm saying? So the, five, the fivefold ministry is, is, is positions that God has pointed out and said, my grace is on these specific offices to do the work for this time and now. Does that make sense? But a lot of times we get pigeonholed in thinking, well, that person's going to have a pulpit. That person's going to have a ministry. That person's going to be set apart. There'll be a staff. There'll be a thing. It's, it's, it's clear that they're a minister. But what are we judging that on? When we're, we're getting ready to fly to, to Florida for a conference. You know, it's going to be 80 degrees this week. We're really just suffering for the Lord. Really just, you know having to submit hard on this one <laughs> how many people at the airport could i look at and say that person's in ministry that person's not in ministry how would i know you you don't you know people by their fruit there's someone who could be a full-time mom who's a who's a great preacher but her congregation is her kids or the or the group of moms that she goes and hangs out with once a week you understand what i'm saying there could, there, could be, there could be a teacher, like a school teacher, right, who's supposed to be a prophet, and the people that they're supposed to prophesy and encourage and uplift are their coworkers and the kids that they teach. Ministry is not something that just happens behind a pulpit or on a conference stage. So the reason why I'm taking time is because I, I, want, it, I want us to get clear on what the definition, when I say the word ministry, I want us all to be thinking the exact same thing. Okay. You guys know Jesse well, right? Jesse has a, com a company where he trains people on how to properly handle and use firearms. How many of you think that's a good thing? I think it's a great thing. I think, if you, I think you need to learn how to drive a car before we just throw you in a car and ask you to use it, right? So Jesse takes the same approach. Is Jesse in ministry? Absolutely. There's a lot of people in that community who need Jesus. Jesse, God uses Jesse to reach people in that community. He's in ministry full-time and he also has other jobs do you understand what i'm saying <sighs> ministry is 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 so much a part of our identity and we think it's separate from us we think it's a hat that we put on when needed as opposed to something we wear all the time does that make sense Ministry is not a something that happens just on Sunday. Ministry isn't just something when you're around certain people. Ministry isn't just something when you're doing a specific thing. Ministry is something that you wear. It's, it's part of your righteousness, if you will. Does that make sense? Lord, help me explain this the right way, Father. Are you guys believing with me? What, what, I'm, what I believe the Lord is trying to convey this morning is that our mentality around what it means to be in ministry cannot be defined on the metrics in result of behavior, but yet how we behave in relationship and in everyday life. Does that make sense? How, how we operate every day. Are we operating in the fruit of the Spirit? Do, do people see Jesus when they see you? Are, are, are people curious about how it is that you have so much peace? Do people want to know how it is that your family's so together? Now, I understand not all of us always have so much peace. Not all of us always have our lives all together. I have kids. I have a wife. I can promise you it's not all together. However, 
because I endeavored to live my life in relationship with the Holy Spirit, being led by Him continually, when people see me, they should see Him. And I can go about my day doing my job, encounter someone who needs a touch from heaven, lay hands on the sick, minister to them in 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, and then go back to doing my job. You understand? Now, there's balance in everything, and the Holy Spirit knows. Like, if, 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 the Lord, if you're in a position where you, have a, you can't exactly just walk away from your job for 15 minutes, the Lord will work it out for you. Father, I feel like I'm supposed to minister to this person. Help me to work this out. You know what God will never, never do? Put you in a position to be unfaithful to your employer in the sake of trying to minister. Would you like me to say that again? God will never put you in a position to be unfaithful to your employer at the sake of your ministry. How are we doing now? Everyone good? Everyone feeling all right? You know, why do I say that? Because your employer is part of your ministry. And if you're in relationship with God and you know you're at where you're supposed to be at, God has a plan for you in that position. And your heart may go out to someone, and this is where spiritual maturity comes in. You need to discern, am I supposed to go and talk to them? Am I just supposed to pray for them? Am I supposed to give them money? What, how am I supposed to encourage this person? It's not always I have to go and tell them about Jesus. I have to go and advance. Sometimes that's the wrong thing you should do. Sometimes they're not ready to hear that. Sometimes it's just your job to plant seed. Paul planted, Apollos watered, and Jesus bring the harvest is what the word says. Sometimes you're there just to plant seeds. And sometimes that seed is, hey man, I really like that outfit today. You're looking good. That might be the first time in that person's life that anyone's ever complimented them about their look. I saw a guy the other day at Target, and it was one of the most unique... Uh, he was actually the guy I brought up my order. It was the most unique outfit I've ever seen, but it came up in my heart so strong to compliment him. Hey, man, I really like, I think I said I really like your outfit and your whole vibe, man. It's really cool to see your individuality, and it's great to see something different. And he's, his face, his smile got so big, he's like, man, thank you for saying that. That was it. He had like a red, he had like a red vest and this big, like, gothic-looking necklace, and he had dyed hair with red in it and black fingernails, but he seemed like, he wasn't seemed like a depressed person. He just, but he, he had this really cool vibe about him. I just really felt like I needed to compliment him, and I, when I did, his smile got huge. Now, was I supposed to ask him to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior? Was I supposed No. How do I know that? Because God didn't ask me to. All that he said is compliment this person on their outfit. He, that I could tell that that guy had put in put effort into it, and God wanted me to acknowledge that. That is planting or watering seed. That's plant. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's not, when we say ministry, we have to, we have to learn to, to compartmentalize that properly in our lives. It's not, it's not just, oh man, we, we have it all wrong. Maybe not all wrong. That might be a little bit extreme language, but we have it somewhat wrong. Because the enemy has convinced us that we're not anointed enough or we're not learned enough. I understand that there's wisdom in, in getting good Bible school training. I understand that there's wisdom in, in learning and training from some people that God has called you to. I agree with all of that. But like if I were to ask you, like some people would say, well, I'm not ready for this. I'm not, I'm not grown enough for ministry. I haven't learned enough. I will ask you, well, when, when will it be enough? Like at what, 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 what are you measuring your life to where you think, okay, now I've made it. Now I can be a minister. Like what, what are, do you have like a goal in your head? Once I've read through the Bible four times from cover to cover, like what, what is enough for you to say, now I'm confident enough to be in ministry? When's enough? And I, I, I would be surprised if any of you could actually answer that question, not because you're ignorant, but because once you start thinking down that road, you can find a million things that you don't think you're qualified enough in. You can think of your shortcomings and your ability to talk to people or how awkward you may be. That's me. How, how goofy or how, well, I don't know if I know enough scripture. I, I can quote the word, but I, I can't quote the reference quite yet. How, what's the measuring? What, when, when are you, by your own metrics, 
qualified to be in ministry. And this is where a massive majority of the body of Christ is. Is they're waiting for a proverbial, I'm enough to be in ministry. I'm enough to lay hands. I'm enough to speak encouragement. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a forever moving mark. Because we don't know how to define it. Because what we would use to define it is never enough. It's, it's based off of things that we can see, feel, and touch. And if you're questioning these things, the enemy will, will right there next with you. He'll, he'll pretend like he's helping you. You know what? It's wise for you to wait right now. You probably should. You pro- I'm looking at everyone, Sue. You probably should wait, you know, another year. You know what he's going to tell you a year from now? Now nah, you probably should wait another year. And, but he'll, he's not gonna, he's, it's not going to be the, the in-your-face, you know it's the devil, the devil. It's going to be the smooth one, the one who comes in, in an, an angelic garb, the one who seems to be right. And he's going to use scripture, but he's going to twist it a little bit. And, and, and he'll walk you into your death, and you'll never do anything. Does that make sense? We define ministry by by the wrong by the wrong metrics and, and our mentality around it. You know, I shared this before. The the scripture that says, "Go into all the world and preach the good news," mm-hmm. and we we read that is yeah it's in in yeah, I think it's in Mark. Yep, Mark sixteen fifteen. You don't have to pull it up, Nancy. It's fine. Um. Scripture says, go into all the world and preach the good news, but we read that as, you know, one day I'm going to go into all the world and preach the, the good news. Mm-hmm. And, and if, you, if you actually study that out, it, it should say, as you're going about your day. So wherever you go in the world, tell everyone the good news. And you know what the good news is? Do you think that guy at Target that the Lord told me to compliment his outfit, do you think that was good news to him? I would agree with you. So our definition of ministry needs to be, our mentality around it needs to be changed because if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you, if you can confidently sit here and tell me, I know for a fact that Jesus Christ died for me, that when I die, I'm going to heaven, that he died on the cross and he sent his Holy Spirit to live with me so that every day I can be in relationship with him. If you can tell me those things and have great confidence in it, you are in ministry full time. Well, Micah, I don't feel like I'm in ministry again. There you go talking about your feelings again. What's my saying about feelings in this church? Who can tell me? They don't matter. Micah, that seems kind of harsh. I didn't say it. I just work here. If you have a complaint, you can talk to the manager. You're, I'm not trying to discredit your emotions because God gave you your emotions. But when it comes time, if there's a conflict between word and feelings, you tell me which one is right. Word or feelings? Which one's right? We're going we're gonna to do this all together so we're all on the same page. Okay? Which one is right? Word or feelings? All right. Just want to make sure we're all on the same page. I don't feel like I'm in full-time ministry. Well, you're talking about your feelings again. I'm not trying to unvalidate you. I'm not trying to say that you don't have lived experiences. But we either believe what the Word says or we believe how we feel about a situation. That's kind of your only two options. Well, Micah, sometimes I believe what other people tell me. Well, yeah, but then you started feeling the way that they told you. Have you ever been around a group of people who have more knowledge around a subject than you do, and all of a sudden you find yourself agreeing with them? It's because they're very convincing, right? And I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying in this group of people, I, you know, I've never seen politics in this light before. Maybe this, is, this person is this thing. Right. Notice how ambiguous I'm being. <laughs> But then when you get away that situation, you get around these other people, you begin to think, you know what, those guys were about 80% right, but these guys seem like they know a little bit more on this situation. I think I agree with this thing. And then you go around these other people, 
and they're completely on the other side, but they're way more dynamic in how they're saying it, and they seem like they have their life together. Well, maybe if this, I mean, this look at this guy. He's got this thing and that thing and this person and that person in their life. Well, maybe this is the right way. That's called being moved by every wind of doctrine. This is why relationship is so important. And your, and your opinions and your feels are dictated. They're a product of your environment. Does that make sense? You are a sum total of your lived experience and those that have lived around you. That go over anyone's head? Does that make sense? Your, your existence is based off of your experience. Both what your parents and grandparents and garden, guardians put into your life and teaching and growing you up and how you've operated every day. How do you have the understanding you have now? By being who you are. Now the great thing is, is God has been in relationship with you longer than you even knew it and he's coerced you into positions and places that he wants you to be. And without you even trying, you walked into a great existence. Without you even in trying, you walked into great intelligence. You walked into great ability. You walked into access. You walked into things, and it had nothing to do with you, but it had everything to do with his ability to walk you in the position that he wanted you to be in. Does that make sense? And it, I understand it's easy to go, well, I'm not as smart as this person, or I'm not as talented as this person, or I'm not as good as this person. Yeah, none of us are. We all have different talents. Jesse is way better at repairing cars than I am. Like, way better. Like, there's things that I just would go and take it to a repair person, and Jesse would go, why would you do that? I can fix that. And I'm talking tearing apart an entire steering column to fix a little thing at the bottom because he knows that's what's making the, the steering wheel click the sound. I, I didn't even know that it was a thing. Understand? But I don't, I'm not mad that I don't know the things that Jesse knows. I'm very thankful that Jesse knows those things because when Jesse wants to help me or I need help, I say, Jesse, can you help me? But I might have abilities that Jesse doesn't. You think, do you think Jesse can stand behind this piano and play the way that I can? He cannot. That's not, I'm not bragging on myself. I'm not saying I'm better than Jesse, but I have other talents that Jesse doesn't have. Jesse has talents. So we, ha we can't be comparing with each other. I wish that I didn't do this. I wish, stop, stop, stop. Shut up. Stop. Okay? You do yourself and you're anointing a disservice when you're comparing yourself to other people. Do you want to know how I know? Because <laughs> I did that for about 25 years until the Lord corrected me. Okay? I, I have firsthand experience of comparing myself to people around me. So when God, when God calls you to something, when he puts you in a position, it's your job to simply be there. To, to get what you're supposed to get, to learn what you're supposed to learn, and to be in ministry the entire time you're there. Micah... I don't know how I'm going to do that. We're going to start talking about more practical things in, in weeks to come. But, the, but on, this is why the relationship side of things is at the core of this. Because we have to know what God says about us. We have to know how he sees us, or at least the portion of it to start. I don't know that we will gain full revelation of that until we get to heaven. But to know how God sees you, and, and I want to say this to you, and I don't know if this is for someone in this building, or, or someone in line and someone online God does not see you how you see yourself that makes sense right he doesn't see you the way that you perceive your existence mm -hmm. and I'm not just talking about in the good things when you disappoint yourself and you you attest that to a character trait that you have or an abuse that happened in your life, or trauma that happened or was done to you, and you see yourself as damaged goods, God does not see you that way. Does that make sense? God doesn't see you as broken. God doesn't see you as damaged. God doesn't see you as less than. Talking, I, can, I, I, I will talk to you from direct experience in my life around this subject. Have you ever found yourself around a group of people who are supposed to be your peers and who are your peers. But for one reason or another, you feel inadequate. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Again, about 25 years of my life. And I, I used to believe that there, there's this, there's this uh, thing that I used to train people with when we were in sales. Um, I, I manage a couple different stores and businesses and things. 
There's a saying that you should teach people, and it goes like this. People's perception of you is your new reality. Does that make sense? Because how they perceive you is how they're going to treat you. In the world of sales, if you're coming across as a greasy salesman who's just trying to make a buck, and they believe that's who you are, whether you're that or not, too bad for you, that's who you are to them. But with the Lord, it's different. Your perception of you is not His reality of you. Does that make sense? How you perceive yourself is not the full extent of how God is allowed to see you. The parameters in which you look at yourself, I'm talking good, hard, honest look, your shortcomings, your, your, your fail-safes, your good things, your bad things, those, two, those parameters of how you view yourself is not the scope in which God looks through to look at you. Does that make sense? He sees you as the thing that he made you. When, when Jesus died on the cross, everything that you were or were going to be, the path in which you were heading down because of the righteous requirement of sin, was shifted. And what Jesus deserved and how God saw Jesus who lived righteously, obeying and fulfilling the law, and the thing that Jesus deserved was life, and an abundant one at that, that persona was pushed on us. And God doesn't see us for our shortcomings. God doesn't see us for where we miss it. God doesn't see it for how we have issues. I'm not saying he's pleased with any of it. What I'm saying is he doesn't see us that way. Have you ever? Ha I know that not everyone has kids in here, but people have taught kids or, or been around kids. Have you ever heard, had, a, had a kid say, I'm just not good enough? Yeah. One of my least favorite things that my daughters have ever said to me is, I'm just a bad kid. That breaks my heart. No, you're not, baby. You're not a bad kid. And it, yes, it was on the tail end of them messing up and being in disobedience. And when I, in conversation, they said, I don't know why I do it. I'm just a bad kid. And immediately I said, no. You are not a bad kid. You made a bad mistake, but you are not bad. We teach our children these things, but it's also how we view ourselves. Does that make sense? We see ourselves this way. We see ourselves as damaged goods. We see ourselves as, you know, too much trauma, too much garbage has happened to me in my life that I don't see a way out of it. So how could God see me any other than the way that I am? Make sense? In our view of ourself becomes tighter and tighter and tighter. And our ability to see a way out becomes smaller and smaller and smaller till we get complacent with that. And we just we just come to accept that this is just the way that it is. Now in, around this whole thing is our desire to be in ministry. Our desire to be husbands and wives, our desires to be brothers and sisters, our desires to be business owners and workers and, and, and managers and the thing that God has called us to do. And we look at the Word and we see uh, we know what the Word can do, we know what we're supposed to do, so we're going to try to fulfill this to the best of our ability, all while this gross ball of insecurity is buried way, way deep down. And since we don't have security in our relationship with Jesus Christ because we, we, we see ourselves in a specific way and we've pigeonholed God into how he sees us as how we see ourselves, then we try to start looking at outward metrics to feel okay about things. That make sense? When I talk to people, do their lives change? Do they take what I say? I, 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 feel this, I feel this desire to say something, but it's slammed against this concrete wall of insecurity that when I go to try to speak to somebody, all that comes out is this anxiety. Because the second I try to think that I have advice for them, I'm, 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 the, the devil will bring up to my face all of these things that I view as more powerful than the Holy Spirit because I've held on to them. Does that make sense? And so this is why we use outside metrics to define ministry. is because we don't have the ability to define it by our inward relationship. Because if we truly knew how Jesus saw us, I'm talking, you and Jesus in the room, no one else talking, and he just begins to tell you how valuable you are to him, 
what he what he sees inside of you, the gifts that he wants you to have, and the things that you can just lay down and never like and never pick up again. The stresses and 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 fears will just fluff off, and all that would be remaining would be peace. And when we minister from that position, we are no longer motivated by what happens after we say what we're supposed to say. It doesn't matter if they get healed right there or you end up chasing them out of Walmart and they want nothing to do with you. It doesn't matter because you're no longer motivated by the result of what happens when you minister. You're motivated by pursuit of an intimate relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense? Our, our mentality around this needs to change, but it, has, it, it starts in an inward place. I, I know people in this room, myself included, who have got, who've had to go through processes and go through healing, but you know what it wasn't? You know what it didn't take? Years. It didn't take a lifetime. It took some moments. Should I share that, Lord? I want to share a story with you, and I'm going to be as ambiguous as possible just because I don't want to embarrass people. Uh, how do I say this the right way, Lord? I'll use myself as an example. That's better. Um, when I was a young man, eight years old, I was exposed to pornography by accident. I won't describe the situation because it doesn't bear relevance. But I was, I was in a place where there should never have been that content, and it was there, and I saw it. And I have dealt with it for years, all throughout my, my young life. I mean, eight years old is young. You don't even know what's up or down at that point in that world. Um, no, you don't. <laughs> uh, but I knew the second I had seen it, I, I'd felt massive amounts of shame. And an and, and, and innocence inside of me was taken away, was ripped out. And through most of my young life and into my adulthood and being married to my wife, it's something that had haunted me for years. No matter how much praying, no matter how much fasting, no, how, no matter how much I didn't want to deal with it or I tried to get away from it, it was always something that was lingering. And I, I prayed and I asked the Lord and, and I sought him. Even, in, even into, into early days of, of being a pastor and in ministry, it was a constant conflict in, in things that I dealt with and, and thoughts that would pop into my head at random. And, and it was something that I battled for a lot of my life. And uh, I was telling my, my mother-in-law about this because she was sharing a story. My mother-in-law is an amazing person. If any of you have actually been able to spend any time with her, she, she goes into hospitals as a nurse, and people who are on their deathbed, she ministers to them, and they accept Jesus Christ. She lays hands on people who are supposed to be dying, and then they don't die. She, she, lives, she is not in full-time ministry. She does not have a 501c3, but she's in full-time ministry. And she was sharing a story with how the devil will use shame and fear and, and we'll, we'll, we'll try to hide those things inside of you so that you feel like you're damaged. And that's how I felt for years. And so through talking with her, we, we, I, I could sense in my spirit that I was ready to let go of these things. And so my mom laid hands on me and I prayed. And I'll describe it to you the best that I possibly can. When, mo when, when mom laid hands on me and I was seeking the Lord, it felt like, a hook went inside of me and whatever it was was being pulled out. It, in, in, in a matter of milliseconds, it was the most terrified and insecure I've ever felt in my entire life. And I literally felt like I was that eight-year-old boy again. Milliseconds. But as soon as that time had passed, I had felt a peace that I had never felt in all of my adult life. It didn't take years. It took a few moments of earnest surrender on my part. It is not fun and it is not a good time looking at things in your life that you are shameful of. I, I, I understand that. 
I don't stand here before you as someone who has never messed up. I stand before you as someone who has messed up a lot. <laughs> but in those few moments of, of actual surrender with the Lord and, and time of, of intimacy with Him, I, I, what came out of that was a peace. I, I'd never, I didn't even know that that peace existed. And since that time, I've never had to deal with the things I had to deal with before. Before, it, was always, it always felt like something that I had to battle continually. I had to keep down. I couldn't, I couldn't entertain anything. And I'm not saying you should entertain things. Understand what I'm saying. But now it's not something that I'm constantly aware of since that time happened. It's not something that I'm aware of all the time because it's gone. Because what the enemy will do is he will use shame, he will use unforgiveness, he will use offense as a hook. And he can hang on to a portion of your life and cause issues as long as you stay in shame and offense and, what did I say the other one was? Fear. Because that's how he gets on to people. Now, I'm not saying you need to just go start diving into your past and start confessing all these things, Lord. That's not what we're about to do, okay? But what I'm sharing with you is how God, in a matter of moments, can transform your life like that. And all that it took was surrender and willingness on my part. I wasn't, it wasn't like this was a set-up thing. It literally happened in a few minutes. My, mom be, my mother-in-law began to share about someone else that she was ministering with, and the Lord said, it's time. And so I said, Mom, I've been dealing with some things like this, blah, 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 blah. And, and the Lord gave her a word of knowledge to share with me, and we prayed, and in a matter of moments, it was gone. And we, went, we, went, we continued on talking what we were talking about before. It doesn't have to be this big production thing, because, because God doesn't... God... <laughs> He's not like a bad friend who says that they forgive you, but then remembers. Does that make sense? Or like a, a bad spouse who says, that's it, I forgive you, but the next time you get in an argument, well, you said this to my mother two years ago. That's not how God is. That's not how you should be either, just so we're on the same page. He, he, it says that once you repent and you turn from those things, it says they, they are as far as the east is from the west. Do you know that that is an unmeasurable distance? If you disagree with me, tell me how far it is. Go figure it out for yourself and then tell me the distance, how far east is from west. So what I'm saying, the reason why all of this is so important is because, like I said at the beginning of this year, God is calling this church to step up in some areas. He's calling us to go out in some areas, but he does not want us to go out ill-equipped or unprepared. Does that make sense? And I'm not about to just start throwing people out on the street who don't know anything and who are terrified. Fear, I'm not so worried about. But what needs to happen is some foundational things need to be put into place before I, can, before I, I feel like the Lord will give us the green light to go out and do some things. And if you're sitting there and you think, man, this is so great for other people because I, there's a lot of people in here who need stuff to work on and I just can't wait till they catch up to where I am. I'm okay if you feel that way. That's, I'm, I mean, don't get into pride, but if there's something that the Lord has for you that he, wants, that he wants to bring out of you, he wants to heal, he wants to renew, he wants to help, he wants to encourage, let him do it. Mm-hmm. But it comes through relationship. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a big production. It doesn't have to be a, a fasting and praying thing unless he tells you to do those things. It can be out of, out of simple relationship. It can be simply, Lord, I, I am tired of trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing. I have exhausted myself, I've exhausted my family and those around me, I have tried everything and done everything and it has none of it's worked. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop trying and I'm going to let you show me. I'm going to let you allow me, I'm going to allow you to, to show me what to do today. Start there. Lord, what is it that you want me to do today? And if, you, if you're not happy with where you work, Ask the Lord, Lord, am I supposed to be here? And for the answer, the question is yes. Then you say, okay, Lord, so what needs to change? Is it my attitude? Is there something here I need to get? What needs to change? Because I'm, I feel like I'm living in hell. But if you want me here, my attitude needs to change. And all it is is this slow, methodical, relational process between you and the Lord. 
You don't have to know what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself is what the scripture says. What you do need to figure out is what you're supposed to do today. And you know who knows what you're supposed to do today? The Holy Spirit. I realize that this seems off topic, but we can't go anywhere else until we get this relational side of things done. As, as your pastor, I would do you a great disservice to ask you to minister in a position of where you are not comfortable with yourself, where you are ashamed of who you are, where you have things that you're hiding deep, dark inside. Now, I'm not saying you have to go through this whole renewal process before you can be used, but you at least have to be open to what God has for you because how are you going to stand in authority? How are you going to stand and and be confident in using the gift that God has given you? The, The word says that the gifts come without repentance. So I'm not saying you have to be a perfect person to be a good minister. But what what I'm asking you to do is to get over yourself and get into him. And part of giving getting over yourself is giving of yourself. Does that make sense? The good stuff and the bad stuff. God wants it all. He wants the happy, freely, fun, loving things, but he also wants the gross sludge and dirt and crust in the bottom. He wants all of it. And when we can get to, our, we can get to a place where we're, where we're at peace and in joy and being in Him, then everything else becomes easy because it's done out of this amazing relationship that we have. Yes. Does that make sense? It's not a weight because it's not hard because it's done out of relationship. Yes, it will rub your feelings the wrong way almost constantly. But again, what do feelings? They don't matter. What do they do? They don't matter. Does that make sense? Does everyone feel okay this morning? No one feels like I beat you up too much? Good. That wasn't even what I was going to talk about this morning. It wasn't in my notes at all. But that must mean someone needed to hear it. Probably me again. Probably me again. Because it's so important for us to understand who God wants us to be and how he wants us to be those things. If, if, if the only thing I ever leave with anyone is a deeper understanding of how much God desires to have a personal relationship with you, I've done my job. He so desires you. He desires you in, in the greatest way possible. He desires you for how, because he, he sees a potential in you because he's the one who put it in there in the first place. He sees who he made you. He knows what he calls you. He knows your name. He knows the purpose of it. He knows your meaning. He knows what you're supposed to be doing. He, he has a great plan for your lives. And he sees you as one who will walk in that plan. And he gives you the option to do so. And the only way we'll know whether we're there or not is by being in relationship with him. Amen? Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tanny Love Church podcast. For more information about us, visit us online at www.tannylovechurch.com. And you can also check us out on social media, on Instagram and Facebook.